Hello, and welcome to another episode of Book Faces Live, the show where we talk to the faces behind your books. I'm Nathan Van Koops, and tonight is another episode uh, where we had a little bit of a technical glitch going into it, but hopefully um, all is well now, and we'll be, we are streaming uh, back on Facebook. And uh, for those of you who are you're jumping on live, and every once in a while things, things glitch, but uh, we are off and rolling now, so thanks very much to everyone who is uh, tuning in and watching um, later and also listening to the podcast. I hope this is going to be a very informative episode. Uh, tonight's episode is going to be one of my favorite types of episodes, sort of a, a summation wrap-up of um, what went on in 2020. I'm a big sucker for um, year-in-review posts and podcast episodes. I really enjoy listening to Joanna Penn and people like that who will look back at, at over the year at the course of 2020 and and look at you know what worked, what didn't, and that's what this is going to be, be about. Because sometimes you look at an individual day, an individual year, today for example, a bit of a dumpster fire uh, of a day nationally, but and you know 2020 was a bit of a dumpster fire of a year in a lot of ways. There's plenty of things that were chaotic and wild, and uh, but when you take the long view. Looking back over the course of the year, you can see the things that were highlights and things that you know trend you thought were going to be good that turned out to to not be so great. So, I really enjoy a year in review post, and that's what this one's going to be about. I've got a lot of information packed in. Of course, whenever you hear anyone, especially me, but you know anyone in general giving advice, I always recommend that you know you take it with the caveat that. This writing advice or this marketing advice applies to me and my author business, and it may not apply to yours. It may, uh, but you have to understand the limitations of what genre you write in, what type of writer you are, what type of marketer you are, what kind of uh, position you're in as far as your business goes, like how, where in your author career are you, and will this apply to you or not? And those, those are some of the questions that you can kind of ask yourself uh, this this podcast episode or in this live episode will be primarily for um, those who are going to uh, be professional authors. This isn't necessarily a reader focused episode. I know some people tune in to see that see the authors I'm interviewing and learn about their books, which is great. This episode is going to be jam packed full of tidbits for authors. So if you are an author, stay tuned. We're about to get to get rolling here on the things that worked and things that didn't work. Um, the way I've structured this is I'm going to go through and I'm going to talk about something that didn't work for me for a particular reason. I'm going to go into why I think that it didn't work for me this year in 2020. And then I'm also going to list some alternatives, things that I think will work going forward or solutions I found uh, that I'm going to focus on for 2021. So that's the way it's going to be formatted. I'll give you a thing that I think didn't work, you know, why it didn't work, and then you know, give you some tips for, for what I think would be a little bit better strategy. So, um, take it, you know, with that in mind, like I said, take it with a grain of salt, it, you know, what applies to you, great, if it doesn't, throw it out. Um, so, I'm going to dive right in. I have a whole list of things here. I'm, hope, I'm hoping to cover a lot of ground. Get, and one of the things that I will say that I was happy to find when I made this list was that the things that are working, that list was a, a lot longer than the things that weren't working. Uh, but one of the number one things I would recommend is to any author or to any business person is at the end of the year to make a list like this. The half hour or probably less 
that I spent jotting down these ideas and taking the time to actually sit and reflect on the year was some of the best time I spent this year in, you know, just taking the, making the effort to sit there and think about what was working and what wasn't. Uh, one of the um, principles, principles I use, I believe it's called the Pareto Principle, the whole 80-20 rule where, you know, 20% of your, your uh, effort results in 80% of your results. Um, so, and, and vice versa, it's, it's a, as a rule that if you're not familiar with it, um, you probably are if you've been around the author community for any amount of time. I'm sure you've heard of the 80-20 rule. But for me, as an author who uh, has multiple businesses, the amount of time that I have for this business is limited. Therefore, I have to be really focused during that time and make sure that the things that I am putting my energy towards are things that are gonna get results. And I actually came up with a new strategy for that, which I'm gonna share a little bit later, uh, a new principle of my own that I'm gonna um, try to use when I decide what to do and what not to do. And hopefully it'll be a principle that will help you as well. So um, first thing that I, that I decided wasn't working for me this year was video courses. There are a bazillion video courses on the internet. There are um, all kinds teaching you how to publish, teaching you how to do marketing, teaching you all kinds of things. But for me, one of the reasons why I think uh, video courses were not working for me uh, was because of how much time they take. And you have to be in a fixed location. You have to be doing one particular thing, which is watching that, part that particular course. And you can't speed it up. You can't skip ahead very easily. You can't um, navigate around to get to the content that you want very easily. And there are a lot of people out there with, with video courses and are also switching more in their uh, nonfiction emails to sending videos and having links in them and things like that for people to watch additional stuff, YouTube courses. That's great if you're really into it, but you should understand the limitations for someone like me who doesn't have the time or the ability to sit down and to be stationary for, for a length of time. And I'm really looking for, for some content that I can absorb quickly. So one of the things that... Um, and I'm not, this is again, not to knock anyone who's putting out video courses right now because, you know, there is a market for it for sure. But one of the things that I've found in the position I'm in, um, is a better use of my time would be to actually purchase, uh, marketing books, for example, in print. Um, for example, I, I subscribe to David Gogren's course. I love David Gogren. He's a good buddy of mine. He sends out a lot of newsletters these days with video links in them. Haven't ever read a watched a single one probably to all the way through because but I have read his book I've read let's get did get uh, digital um, multiple times I've read um, Amazon decoded I've read almost all the stuff he puts out I've read it in some sort of format um, so same person same content but I'm just taking a different format because I can read it much faster than I can wait for the newsletters there are some newsletters I think are doing really well um, one for example I think um, Nicholas Eric puts out one who does a really good job of putting out little snippets of sentences that makes it really addictive to read. So even if I'm just like, I'm opening it to think, oh man, I'm just going to see if there's anything really good in here. I end up reading everything because it's it's formatted really well. And it's something that we're, I'll talk about a little bit later when it gets to newsletter content and what's really working with newsletters is that particular style, sort of like the Brian Meeks style of blurb writing. If, you've, if you're familiar with Brian, Brian Meeks's course at all on copywriting, applying that to your newsletters is really effective. Um, David Gogren's newsletters are great too because they're hilarious. He has a great sense of humor, so I'll open his stuff and read it primarily for the jokes. Um, 
and there's a few other author newsletters that I subscribe to as well that I will open them even though I'm not even remotely in their genre because they're funny. Um, but as far as actually absorbing the content, for, for me, I think the, the thing that's been the most effective has been audiobooks, marketing audiobooks, craft audiobooks, and podcasts. Podcasts remain at the, at the uh, top of my list, uh, right up there with the craft books and such, because of the fact that I can do them on the go. I can do them in the car. I can do them while walking with the dog or my toddler. Or, you know, I have, I'm a parent to young children, so I'm, I'm on the go. If I'm washing dishes, I can be listening to something, and that's where the action is for me. Okay. So, um, not to say that you can't, you know, you know, get the content whatever way you want, but if you are like me and you are managing, you know, multiple businesses, you're managing a family, you're trying to get a lot, a lot done, um, all at once being able to, um, multitask is huge. So if you're not already listening to podcasts, oh, granted, if you're listening to this one, you probably are. Um, but maybe also try books and audiobook because I realized over the years that marketing books and things like that are basically a hundred podcasts crammed into one. So if you're looking for craft tips, things like that, you can sift through a hundred podcasts to get the content you'd get out of one hour of, you know, an audiobook, for example. Um, the other thing that's working for me surprisingly is actually starting to read on my phone, which I wouldn't have thought that was a thing, but it's with me all the time. So I am actually sneaking in more reading on my phone when it comes to actually, you know, the, the visual word. I'm getting more of it done on my phone than I am on my Kindle. And that's surprising to me. I didn't think that was the case, but we live in a busy world. And that's one of the things that was working for me in 2020. So, um, okay, another thing that was working for me, I decided this year was, of course, working. Having multiple streams of income, having another job in addition to doing the, the writing thing. Um, this works for a lot of reasons. I have never really been one to buy into the whole, you have to be a full-time writer thing to make it work as a business. It just, it's just not true. And also I really enjoy my job. I have another job, I have several businesses, but, um, I have one in, in aviation and I, I love it. I, I enjoy what I do. I get to be around airplanes all day. I get to be, I get to make my own schedule. I am self-employed, which is really nice. So I can kind of balance it very easily. And I know that not everyone has that situation where they can take certain days to write and certain days to work. Some people have a more rigid schedule. However, 2020 was a volatile year. And having a little bit of financial security by having another stream of income besides writing, it was a win this year. And even though some of our job, other jobs were impacted by COVID more so than uh, our writing business, the writing business actually did pretty well overall in 2020 as a result of more people reading, which is great. But we don't know what next year is going to look like. We don't know what changes will come. So in the era of volatility that we live in, I am all on board for multiple streams of income. And some people diversify in within their author business. Maybe that's providing courses or providing um, editing services or doing something else in addition to just putting out books. Uh, of course, you don't want to take away from the fact that your books are, are coming out. I actually did manage to get out more books this year than I have ever done before, which is surprising considering the situation we've all been going through. Um, but that was a focus of mine. I, I made a very deliberate choice to try to, to write shorter, to also um, just streamline some of my other things I'm doing like this and uh, take the time to, to focus on how to be more efficient, be a more efficient writer. 
Um, so multiple streams of income, um, like I said, rejecting the idea of the full-time, you know, the cachet that comes with seeing, oh, I'm a full-time writer. Granted, it's nice to be a full-time writer because you get 40 hours a week to actually do the job. And this job does take a lot of time. And, and even as a full-time writer, you're doing the work of five people to in order to manage an author business. There's so much to do. There's always a to-do list that's a mile long and you're only ever getting to the top few things on that list. However, I'm hoping that episodes like this podcast will help you to organize that list a little bit better and make some of those things um, more of a priority at the top that are gonna be really effective for you and efficient. Okay, one of the other things, the reason why um, having that additional source of income has been working for me is it's allowing me to take some other types of risks and shift my goals. When I have a business that is self-sustaining and I'm not pulling too much from it in terms of uh, needs, if I'm not pulling all of my financial needs from my author business, it leaves more capital in the business so that I can take bigger risks. Not to say that this year was not the, the year to take financial risks, but it could be the, the year to shift goals. And I'll talk about that um, because one of the things that I'm shifting is kind of tuning my business differently. I'm going to be doing something different this year where I shift away from a direct um, sales to profit uh, goal and more towards a, a growth goal of growing subscribers, growing relationships, building the business in a different way. And one of the things that's important to understand as a writer is that your business is a machine. And just like any any machine, you have to tune it to get the results you want. It can't do everything equally well all the time. So it's important that you decide what goals you have for the coming year, focus those goals, and then tune the author business to get those results. So um, one of the things that helps you do that is, of course, having the data to use to actually make those decisions. One of the things that was not working for me in 2020 was having a lack of data, not understanding where um, some of my sales were coming from, needing more information about how to uh, make changes. And some of the, the reasons um, why that's what's so bad is to not have this data is because you it gives you um, no way to, to track your progress. Whether you've improved year over year, it's very difficult if you're not getting you know good numbers. And as authors, we're plagued by situations like the KDP dashboard not reporting accurately or the advertising platform not reporting page reads and, and things like that. So um, we already are, are dealing with a lot of gray areas. As authors and that's difficult it's it's hard on us to be able to, to make these decisions when the platforms we're using are not necessarily built for us like the Amazon ads platform was not designed for authors initially so things like that we have to get our, work our way around um, but one of the ways some of the ways that I've found to get more data to find out more information about where my sales are coming from where my readers are coming from um, was to use more specific links and of course many of you are probably familiar with universal book links um, the idea of, I know draft digital has universal book links. There's also a, a place called uh, Booklinker, and there's a few other ones where you can basically get a very specific URL that goes along with your particular link in your product, and you can track it. And one of the ways this is really useful is to actually see how many clicks, for example, 
your newsletter had on this particular link, or if you have a freebie that's being downloaded, you can figure out where it's being downloaded from. And BookFunnel is really fantastic in that they will let you customize as many landing pages and links as you want. So one of the things that I'm doing now this year that I wasn't doing in previous years is to just separate all those out and say, okay, this is how many people got my freebie. Instead of just, I used to have just one freebie link and I put it everywhere and it would be in my email um, footer and it would be, you know, in the backs of books and it would be all over the place. But I couldn't tell, I knew how many people were clicking that link in general, but I didn't know which people were clicking which links. So now what I'm doing is going back and actually itemizing out separate little links and saying, this is one that's from the back of book one. This is from the back of book two. This one is from my email. This one is from, you know, something I gave away at a author event. Some, you know, some, some, whatever you want to do, you can customize those links, you know, as to infinity. It seems like I have to ask with Damon, he's going to be on the show coming up soon, but there's no reason why you can't track more precisely where your, your stuff's coming from. I knew that over 50% of my subscribers were coming from BookFunnel and the rest were coming from my website, but that was it. And I didn't know how they got to my website. So being able to track those things, so using the resources like BookFunnel really help you to determine, well, where, where, which book are they, are they subscribing after? Are they subscribing after book one? Are they subscribing at the freebie in the front matter of book one or the back matter of book one? Or the front matter of book two? You know, like at what point are they really jumping onto your list? And you can figure that out by putting custom links in and saying, okay, I'm losing people here or I'm gaining people here. This particular freebie gave away or the way I phrased this um, ad copy worked really well to get people on board. So more data is, is just more useful. And of course, um, BookFunnel in general was a big winner for me this year. 2020 um, was, was eye-opening as to the power of BookFunnel promotions and getting people on board. I, I found the, the, the open rates were really high for those subscribers who jumped on freebies in my promos and then joined my list and they stayed on my list. And I really appreciated that because I've used other sites before that where some of the you know, the cold leads weren't as, you know, they didn't warm up as easily. So the, the book funnel readers seem like they've been around. One of the reasons why I like book funnel is it really focuses on other indie authors. It's, you know, it, Damon is at all the conferences. He talks to all of us. Most indies use it. So people that are on book funnel and actively using book funnel accounts are probably already familiar with buying indie books. They're familiar with the process. They're already, they know the drill. And so the fact that they're going to get some emails out of this and get to know another author is a good thing for them, not a bad thing. Otherwise, they wouldn't be given their email. They know they know what they're in for. So that was that's been really useful. Book funnel promos were definitely on the list of things I'm going to do a lot more of during 2021. Okay, um, another thing that was not working for me, and this one I may get some some boos and hisses from certain crowds, but focusing on ads for me, uh, I've realized looking back on 2020 was kind of meh. Um, it was a short-term thinking kind of a goal where I was, you know, putting a lot of money into advertising primarily on Amazon and not to say that it wasn't effective. I did make money, um, as a result and, and I'm still running Amazon ads. I'm not going to stop running them, but I'm shifting focus 
And the reason why is I want to keep getting away from short-term thinking goals. Ads are something that require a lot of management. They require a lot of um, setup and monitoring in order to do well. They, they involve tweaking, and it's just a lot of work. It's a time suck. And one of my goals that I'm starting to apply to everything is I want to be able to do things once, not do them forever. And ads are one of those things that you kind of have to stay on top of forever. Whatever you're running, whether they're Facebook or Amazon or BookBub, you've got to be on top of them if you really want them to work well. And that's not really, that's no longer going to be fitting into my primary focus um, coming up. Not to say that I'm not going to keep still using them. They are still going to be on my plate and I'm not bashing, um, you know, paperclip advertising. Please don't run off and say, oh, Nathan said that, you know, Facebook ads don't work. That is not what I'm saying. I think they do work. Um, I just think that for me right now, they're no longer fitting into my uh, focused goal, which is shifting. And I'll, I'll get into why in a minute here. Um, because what I am shifting to is email marketing, more direct email marketing by meaning I am going to put most of my focus into getting people into a robust ecosystem of emails coming from me. Because one thing I've learned over the course of this past year is that building relationships with my subscribers is the most valuable place I can put my time right now. And I erroneously thought that, oh, once they're subscribed, then you know they're naturally automatically going to read all my books, things like that. No, they're not. Um, maybe you know that they would naturally be opening all my emails once once they were on. That's not true. You've really got to focus on retention. And one of the episodes we had recently um, with Elena Johnson was on, and she talked a lot about um, retention and the idea that you know, of continuing to sell to the people who are on your subscriber list. And it was a great episode. I rec recommend you check check it out if you haven't already. But she's very wise, and um, she opened my eyes a little bit about. Why, if you feel like you're not growing year over year, if you feel like you're maintaining the same amount of income or things like that, it's because you're not, you know, it's not because you're not gaining new subscribers. It's because you're failing to retain the ones that you have. And that's an important focus shift for me. It was something that kind of my eyes opened a little bit. And some of the things I played around with as a result were instead of focusing my time on, for example, new newsletters, I started focusing some of my time on adding to my autoresponders. And this actually really precisely kind of fits right in with my 2021 goals because my once versus forever philosophy of saying, I want to be able to do something. I want to put a bunch of my time and effort into something that I do once, not that I do forever. Of course, the books are number one example. I'm going to write this book and it's going to continue to be a book and be enjoyed by my readers forever. So um, the once, once versus forever strategy means that also when it comes to email, first off, I see uh, Madison was watching. Hi, Madison. I see Christina Benjamin is watching. Uh, we were, I was just talking about you with, with a friend today and how, how great you are. Um, anyway, thanks for watching. But the, um, the strategy that I'm trying to employ here is with email, first off, a, you have to have an email list. If, you, if you're a new writer starting out, um, creating an, a, an email list of subscribers is probably the number one thing that you should focus on 
right out of the gate with your first book, with your first short story, whatever it is, find something to give away for free and get people interested in your stuff and then stay in touch with them. And the best way to do that is with an autoresponder. The MailChimp, of course, you know, when you sign up for MailChimp, a lot of people, a lot of authors, especially uh, my generation of authors who started around 2013, all jumped on board MailChimp because that was one of the biggest names that was around at the time. And it offered the first 2,000 subscribers for free. I think they still do. And um, one of the things that, you, that it lets you do is set up automations, meaning that when someone downloads your freebie, you don't have to personally send it to them. You just automatically send them a reply email. Of course, you use your book funnel link so that they don't have to actually you know, go through you at all. They just go over to book funnel, download their freebie, or you send them straight there. There's, there's a couple ways to do it, but in any case, they end up on your email list and then you can give them more than one email. You can send them a, a whole slew of emails. I know some authors who have done an email a week, you know, uh, for the whole first year, which I think is fantastic. And for me, I was subscribing to an old model I had heard on a podcast years ago. We're like, oh yeah, send about five emails. You know, send a welcome email and then a follow-up email. Maybe a social email to connect with you on social media platforms, things like that. Maybe an invite to your beta reader team. There was a few different things that people said, this is what you need. So that's what I've been doing for years. I had a five email autoresponder, which um, is more than some people have. Some people just have like the one freebie responder and then that's it. And then people are on the newsletter list and maybe they'll email them once a month or maybe they'll email them once every, you know, when a new book comes out. A lot of people have different strategies, but one of the things that I'm realizing is more effective, instead of having to, to put a bunch of blood, sweat, and tears into a newsletter every month, um, I still need to do that. You still have to do a monthly, I'm still going to do a monthly newsletter, but I'm also going to do another one where I write an email that's evergreen, that isn't. Uh, specifically tied to any particular month or time and I'm gonna just add it on to my existing autoresponder and whoever else has already gone through which is pretty much everyone who's still subscribed will then just get another email the following week or whatever you set it up for and they will continue to get it like all the new people will continue to get that content so instead of me you know having to pull my hair out every month trying to come up with a fun new story to tell I will still do that but it will get repurposed. Instead of having a single use email, I will have evergreen emails. And because I realized like, for example, one of my stories that I told um, to my newsletter subscribers years ago, it was a huge hit, it had tons of responses, tons of emails back. And people said, oh, this was such a great story. It was about how I had caught a thief who had stolen my credit card. And um, I realized like, wow, that was a great story. I got to keep coming up with stories like that. It's not often that I do that though, that I turn into my own private detective and go off and catch a thief. So um, I can't do that every month, but what if I had used, instead of you know putting that story in just a one-off newsletter that I mailed off and then you know in, everyone enjoyed, what if that was part of my autoresponder? What if every person who joined my list got that story and learned that about me and had a really great experience reading this fun story? That's where you can work smarter, not harder, and have this do it once, not do it forever attitude, and say, okay, I put I put all this effort into this story. It's a great newsletter. It's a great article. Whatever it is you're working on, everyone gets this. Not just whoever happens to be subscribed right now, because I'm going to continuously be subscribing new people. The more books I sell, the more the more um, you know people join my my list. It's going to be all about relationships with those people, not just 
um, trying to sell them books all the time, things like that. And that's one of the things that I actually even added to one of my autoresponders recently was just saying, hey, um, you've been on for a while. Thanks. Um, is there a book somewhere that you haven't read of mine? Um, yeah, would you be interested in it? If there's something you haven't tried. And that's something that I'm going to be doing with my main list in addition to the, I did it on a side list first of all, like a, a kind of cold leads list and said, hey, I've got 10 books at this point. You know, I can spare one, you know, it, and um, give something else away for free. And because one of the things that consistently works is free. If you look over the course of the years, all the, all the things that have come and gone, free books are still incredibly effective at getting people on board, trying out your stuff, whether it's part of your beta team, whether it's a first in series free, um, whether it's just a freebie giveaway that you have, some sort of story that's exclusive to your to your newsletter list or your website that they can only get there. People click on that because it's because it's free, and then they get. So the more you can reward people, the more they're likely to open your emails. And of course, your open rates are huge because if you have a thousand people on your list and only thirty percent of them open it, like that's that's not as good as forty percent or fifty percent. So. Um, the thing that really matters there in that equation is building a personal relationship with people that are on your list. And sometimes that involves actually just emailing them back, asking questions. One of the things that I've been doing in my newsletter for years now is a paperback, signed paperback giveaway. Someone will win a signed paperback every month and I will mail it to them personally. Um, sometimes I'll do surveys. There's actually um, you know, a lot of ways that you can interact with your readers and just at least at one point, at some point in their journey along your autoresponder sequence, email them personally. Have a, have a reason for them to actually personally reply and then to, for you to reply back. Even just a short paragraph, something that, that you'll connect with them personally on. Because now it's not just them signing up to read your books. Now it's them signing up to be an, an acquaintance of yours that you, they've actually interacted with personally. Um, just like when they get their signed copy of your book and it goes on their shelf, they're much more likely to buy the rest of your books and they're not likely to throw that book away because it's got their name in it that you personally wrote to them. So um, building any excuse you can find to make those relationships work. Um, you might be like, well, Nathan, but personally signing books and sending them off to individual subscribers, you know, that seems like it takes a lot of work. Yes, but it works towards your end goal of turning casual readers into super fans, which is what, what you long term you need to actually make build friendships uh, with your readers because they're going to continue to spread the word about your stuff and just about you in, in, in general, personally. Uh, a mailing list shouldn't be to sell books. A mailing list should be to build relationships because relationships sell books. Um, something, to, something to think about. Okay. Um, so single use newsletters, I will still continue to do monthly newsletters. However, I am subscribing to this, you know, once not forever model and working towards evergreen solutions. Um, okay. You've been on this list for a year. Congratulations. Here's an email about it. Um, which is another tip I got from Elena Johnson. So the big emphasis there on retention. And I noticed Ninja tip. I seem to think that I don't know the inner workings of MailChimp or any other newsletter subscribers. A subscriber list, but um, I realized that my open rates on just adding an email to the existing 
uh, autoresponder was much higher than it normally is when I send the newsletter. So it's possible, and don't quote me because I don't know if this is factually true or not, it's possible that MailChimp, that type of email, when it goes to the subscriber, because they've opened previous emails from you in that chain of events, um, are more likely to see it and open it and respond to it. There may be something there to just adding on to your autoresponder as opposed to sending a separate individual email to that same person. There may be something to do with the visibility of it. Uh, I have to look into that, which I will never do because I don't have that kind of time. But it's just a theory. Okay, um, more things that did not work in 2020. Uh, big surprise, not writing to market. Still doesn't work. So uh, I put out more things, like I said, in the past 14 months than I've ever done before. I put out four things, two of which were novels in a um, mishmash, mashup genre. Um, and big surprise, they were super hard to market. They were my best stuff. They're far and away some of the best writing I've ever done. They were incredibly fun to write. You know, great characters, I thought, um, and the readers, the people who've read them really like them. The reviews are really high. However, it continues to not sell nearly as well as my other stuff, which is in a more targeted genre. So um, what I was writing was this medieval Western, modern medieval Western, which is a mashup of like three Venn diagrams, the, the things that don't normally go together. And while fun and a blast to write, continues to be um, a bear to try to market and sell. And, you know, long term, it's just not a good strategy to, to continue. If I write 10 more books, and some people have commented in reviews, I hope there's 100 more of these. I would love to if they would, you know, find a place in the world. But Amazon doesn't know what shelf to put them on, and they've got a bazillion shelves. Um, a regular bookstore would really have no idea what shelf to put that on. Um, so... What really does work, I'd put out another couple shorter things in my primary genre, which is time travel, and they continue to do well and have already outsold those other longer novels, uh, despite the fact that, you know, I feel like those other novels were, you know, maybe superior in terms of, of uh, story. Um, so yeah, staying in your lane continues to be a good idea if your lane is popular. And if getting into a popular lane will continue to be a, a long-term good marketing decision. If you can get um, writing in a, in a category like thrillers or romance or things where there is a ravenous reader base, will always win long-term over writing these little niche things. Not to say that you can't succeed in a niche. You absolutely can. Um, Elena Johnson talks about how she writes you know, Christian Cowboys and she really gets down in there in a, into a niche and does really well with it. But that's all she does. She really focuses on it and is the go-to person for that particular genre. But I think personally for me going forward in 2021, I will continue to stay in a busier lane where there's a little bit more of a, uh, a readership naturally without me having to create one. Um, and I'm going to keep, keep working on that and just keep putting out books that I know people already like. Okay, um, here's one that might get a little bit of um, contention because uh, it goes a couple different ways. So think as far as things that worked versus didn't work in 2020, and the topic is Facebook groups. And I know what you might say. You might say, Nathan, but you've got a ton of Facebook groups. You've got like 
a reader group and a beta reader group and an advanced team group. And you've got a podcast group for Bookfaces Live. And you're part of a bazillion author groups. And I agree. I am. However, I do not think they are the most efficient. Are they better than pages? Absolutely, because the traffic on pages is abysmal. But you may or may not have noticed that the visibility in groups has also become abysmal. Um, if you if you guys have your own Facebook reader groups that you're managing, or if you're part of a group that you really want to see the content for, make sure you go up into the corner and click the little dots. And you'll notice when it goes when you go to the notifications setting that Facebook has changed group notifications from uh, all to highlights. So even if you are the manager of that group, if it's your group, you are not seeing all the things being posted in that group um, unless you go down to your settings and take it off of highlights and put it back to all posts. Because for a while, people were posting things in my group that I would have loved to comment on and I couldn't see it. And um, it's very difficult for a, uh, a post to reach this arbitrary highlighted status that Facebook has determined if no one sees it. I don't know what the criteria are they're using to make a post visible or more visible to all members. So um, it seems really difficult to try to, you know, figure out their algorithms that they're using to make your content more visible. But you're using their platform. What do you expect? So um, for me, continuing to try to push content through to a Facebook group falls into the category of one of those forever items of things that I'm gonna, it's a, it's a bear, it's a time suck. It's, I have to continually come up with content to try to put out that um, is difficult to actually get anyone to see. It, it's becoming increasingly harder to get any of that content to direct, whether people like it or not. You know, um, Finding the content in the first place is a time suck. Putting it out is, is now a time suck, trying to make sure people see it and comment on it. And because you have to respond to it to get to, to get you know, past the bar of being seen. And then you've got to like come up with another one and stay on top of this, you know, this um, hamster wheel for a while. So some ways around it that I've found. Um, one is getting someone else to help manage your group for you. Well, A, change your notification settings to so you actually see what's going on in your groups. B, find someone else. If it's your particular group, find someone else to manage it for you. For me, this has been a godsend. I got one of my readers, um, Maria, who is amazing and fantastic. She stepped on board and said, you know, um, I saw that you're looking for some help. I could, I could help out a little bit. And what we did was we came up with some strategies for things to do that aren't just posting random things. They're also connecting to my other goals. So one of the things was, of course, build a relationship, build a community, encourage other people to post in the group and not just you. So um, we started a, a, a book club in the group and where we're reading other people's time travel books in my group, uh, which is helping to build relationships and community. Some other authors from other books are coming in to actually co-host the events. There's, um, I'm mentioning it frequently in my newsletter as content that I, that people get over from my newsletter list into the group and, and vice versa. So it fits into the larger strategy and it's not, some, it's no longer a time suck for me. It's not something that I have to spend a lot of time on um, because I have delegated that out and because um, I've also been able to focus on other things and use Facebook in different ways. One of which I highly recommend is uh, actually using Messenger more. 
So this kind of is on the flip side of the coin. Instead of not just the group that I manage, but the groups I'm part of. I'm part of a lot of other author groups. And um, they're fantastic for the most part. They're full of great content, useful information, cool people. However, if I have a bit of information that I need, searching through a bazillion posts in an enormous Facebook group full of authors is not necessarily the best way to get that content. So what I've found actually is working much better for me is starting small groups with small amounts of people. And this is something that, that happened kind of organically a, a few years ago where a group of friends, uh, there was four of us, got together and we started our own little Facebook group. But then we also started a little messenger chat with all four of us in there. And over the course of a couple years, I would say that 80% of the conversation happens in the messenger chat. Uh, maybe 15% of it is probably on video chats that we do in Messenger every couple weeks or at least once a month we try to get together and actually do a video call and all of us will, will chat in there. And then maybe 5% of communication, if that, happens in the actual Facebook group. And I've found that this is so much easier to communicate with other authors and, and get information and actually feel connected to other authors is by starting small groups. So now, I'm actually in a couple of them now, but I highly recommend doing only four or five people at most in your messenger group because it gets unruly otherwise, you know, if it's there's a lot of people talking, not everyone's into group conversations. But for me, a group conversation is much better than just a, a broad group. I would rather have five people that I know and trust and like than 20,000 people um, who are mostly strangers in a group. For me, it's just better because I know I know what I'm getting. I, want, I know I can trust the information. I'm, I'm building a personal relationship again, which is kind of the whole point. And this is coming from an extrovert, guys. This is someone who loves people. Like, includer is one of my top five personality traits. So it's like number two. So I'm usually the more the merrier. That is definitely my personal personality type of like, yeah, let's invite everyone. Um... <clears throat> But even I, as that person, have realized the power of a small group and what it can do long-term and um, how efficient it can be. So, yeah, get a group moderator for your, for your own groups. Get in there and, and interact, but with a focused goal of you know specific content and things like that, things you want to be a part of. And then try to do your networking with other authors privately. Video chats have been huge, obviously, in 2020, Zoom calls has been a big win we couldn't go to many conferences this year so we've been getting a lot of zoom calls i did that with some friends uh, from one of my favorite conferences and said hey you know we miss seeing each other this year let's let's get on and chat and i recommend it um i've even started just calling people when i'm out walking the dog i'll just look through my phone and actually just pick people up out of the, out of the phone and call them and have a good good old-fashioned conversation on the phone and uh it's been great really helps build those relationships. But um, for, so for me, Facebook groups, eh, useful, yeah, time suck, a little bit. So um, I, I do recommend them. I love my Facebook group when it comes time to editing. I have a, a, a group called the, the Type Pros and they're uh, my editing group, but they're only really, we only jump in there usually when I have a book to edit. Uh, most of my group activity goes on in my main reader group, which like I said, I've been encouraging as many people other than me to post in there as possible. So not being so focused on yourself really helps. 
because we can talk about all kinds of movies and other authors. So the more you can get out of your own space, get out of your own way, and let other people kind of take charge of your group, the more interesting the conversation gets. Okay, so that's um, that's useful information there. Some other things that I've I've had experiences I've had. Um, one was with BookBub. Um, for I've been in KU, which does still work, but I've been in KU for years with my main series. It was working well as far as sales and income. It was not working well in getting BookBub feature deals. So it had gone been probably four years since I'd had a BookBub feature deal, and I decided to take a couple of my fringe books out and go wide with them, and then they were immediately picked up by. BookBub deals, and I had two very different experiences. One was a, a solo standalone book with no other books in the series after it, which I ran for a 99 cent deal and managed to lose money on. The deal, um, I think, cost $700. It was pretty expensive. I made the required amount of sales, like they recommended, okay, it's just going to be probably going to make a you know, thousand, sell a thousand books, which it did, but there was zero tail on it. It didn't work. Um, and I would be okay taking a loss on a book, a 99 cent deal book one, if there was several books after it. But in this particular case, I didn't have several books after it, so I don't recommend doing that. So if you've only got one book, I don't think the 99 cent deal is a great idea. At least it wasn't for me. However, I had another BookBub feature deal a short time after that uh, and ran it for free in a series, and that was a huge success. So I had a, a massive amount of, of downloads day of, and the tale was was extensive, uh, partly because one of the things I, I learned, which is a, a fun thing that is definitely working, is putting the first couple chapters, or at least the link to buy, in the ending chapter of your previous book. Instead of having a scene break or a chapter break and having... That little flag pop up at the end of them. your reader reading it and saying, oh, would you like to rate this on Goodreads or Amazon? You push that off a little bit by adding more content to the end of your actual chapter and not putting the scene break at the end of your, where it says the end. You put your scene break after um, the fact that you've already gotten them hooked reading your next book. So for those of you who put, you know, formatting your eBooks, think hard about that because it's really effective at getting um, your readers into the next book. So when I did that with the freebie that I was I was giving away uh, most recently on BookBub, I put my new release, the first couple chapters of my new release, like right in the back. And um, <clears throat> worked really well. Sell through has been fantastic. Um, don't mess around with, you know, trying to get people to jump through hoops to buy the next book. Just put them right in the next book right away. And I think there, there's limitations, so obviously uh, pay attention to what the limitations are from Amazon as far as how much of an additional book you can put in. Don't don't be a scammer and try to throw a whole half a book in there. But um, play by the rules, of course. But also be smart and don't let them jump in and tell your reader that they're done reading your book when you don't want them to. You decide when they're done, and let them let them keep reading a little bit of the, of the next thing. And make sure there's a link to buy. I made it. That was one of the mistakes I did. Was I went back and looked at my first four books of, of a series and realized book three still had a coming soon in 2018 uh, statement at the back of it and no link to buy book four. I had failed to go back in, even though I knew book four was coming, I had failed to go actually go back in when book four did come out and put the link at the back of book three. Major fail. Facepalm moment for me, for sure. Well, I kept getting reviews at the end of my trilogy. People were like, oh, wow, I really love these three books. I really wish there was another one. I was like, why on earth aren't they buying my book four? Well, because I forgot to put the link in the back. 
Um, <clears throat> so yeah, that's a that's a big one. Um, so I really recommended the book club free deal. One of my goals going forward this year is to increase my subscriber list. So I will be giving a lot of books away for free. And I and in order to facilitate that, I've actually put my series, my entire main breadwinning series, I have pulled it out of KU and I'm putting it wide, at least for six months or so. I know for a fact that I will probably lose money in the short term. And but because I have multiple streams of income and I'm not completely relying on this as my sole source of money, uh, I am comfortable doing that because my long-term goal is to grow my mailing list uh, exponentially. And the best way to do that is to give stuff away for free. Therefore, I have now I have more things that I can legitimately tempt BookBub with and um, hopefully get some really good uh, feature deals, free deals, and um, really explode my mailing list. For the future, and once they go on my mailing list, hopefully they will find a really robust, personalized autoresponder that will retain them so that by the time I put out my next book in my new series, they'll still be on board and they'll be ready for it. And they'll be excited to buy because they will have gotten to know me over the course of a whole bunch of emails that I did not have to personally send them. So that's my plan um, going forward with that. <clears throat> okay. Um, in terms of actual writing, things that are not working, one of which I've discovered is trying to write whenever I can fit it in. That does not work. Uh, of course, I've had to use that strategy a fair amount this year because my kids keep getting sent home from school because the school keeps getting closed because close of COVID. So um, kids being home, those of you with small kids will understand that that is a, not a recipe for getting things done. So, um, But I've also learned, because I also have another job, that... I've learned that I am more productive when I have more to do. And sometimes if that means you're watching your kids and you know for a fact that you're only going to get 45 minutes during this nap time before somebody wakes up, you're going to write like your hair is on fire during that 45 minutes. I might get more done during that 45 minutes than I would if I had a whole day to myself with nothing going on just because I'll find other things to do and procrastinate about and not get the writing done. So sometimes having restrictions on your time is good. Um, learning to write whenever you can fit it in is good, but making that a plan and a strategy is not great. But what's better is learning to schedule your writing better. And for me, if it's on the schedule, it gets done. If it's not on the schedule, if I have a blank space there, guess what happens in a blank space? A whole lot of nothing because I, I mentally cram too many things into it and I don't write anything down. And the things I don't write down also tend to not get done. So, um, yeah, that's the thing. Um, the other thing that I need to, I'm going to do better in 2021, I'm not going to say yes to everything. I tend to, to jump on board for things and 2021 may be the year of no for me. It may be uh, I have to focus on other things or my priorities and say no to a few more things. In 2021, uh, as a people-pleasing type of person, I tend to take on more than I should sometimes and saying yes to everything is a great way to lose valuable time. Um, but in 2021 and beyond, I will continue to give back. I will continue to network with fellow authors and build a community of readers that I engage with personally. Um, like I said, I'm going to bolster my autoresponders, but I'm also going to, um, find ways to build in personal connections along the way. Uh, actually ask for personal connections, find ways for those people to reach out to me directly and actually get a real email back at least one i want every subscriber i have to have communicated with me at least once in person that's a goal for me in 2021 
Um, and I know this is going on close to close to an hour, so I'll wrap up. But um, there, there's there are more things on my list, and there will be more things um, the more I think about this as I as I dwell on it and um, going into 2021. Uh, strategies will evolve, but I hope you found some interesting content in this in this episode. I hope that you can also focus a little bit more on your. Um, once items instead of your forever items, things that you can do one time that are going to yield really great results as opposed to things that you have to continuously keep up with. Uh, that's my new focused goal. And to to find ways to, to build those systems in place. Another thing I'm looking into, interestingly enough, um, Cecilia Mecca has been on the show and talked about novel bots uh, using messenger marketing because I like messenger so much for building relationships in other spaces. I'm going to be seriously taking a look at um, messenger bots and autoresponders there to see. And granted, I'm not going to invest nearly as much time into that as I would into my own newsletter, which is my own home turf, because uh, I own those things and I can continue to, to grow them. And who knows what Facebook is up to ever. So you never know when something's going to change on their territory. So you can't build, build your whole business model on top of that. But uh, I will continue to to grow what I can. I'm going to grow my, my uh, newsletter list. I'm going to grow my business. I'm going to focus my goals on 2021 uh, with that in mind. And I might sacrifice short-term sales for uh, long-term growth. And that's something that you know everyone has to figure out what their goal is for 2021. Are you all about just selling books right now? Are you, are you all about gaining readers? Because it's not always the same thing. Um, what is your goal? What is your focused goal for 2021? I think one of the things I really recommend doing is carving out 30 minutes of time at least to sit down and make your own what's working, what's not working list and see if you can do a little problem solving like I did and you take your things that aren't working and see if you can find a workaround and see if there's a strategy that works for you um, going forward. So anyway, next week we've, uh, we're back to another interview episode. I've got a couple of great interviews lined up. Uh, at the beginning of the year here, and we'll be on track to have some some fantastic authors uh, visiting with us. Thank you, everyone who has watched and listened and uh, enjoyed the podcast. Of course, I always appreciate reviews on iTunes or uh, Podbean or wherever you you listen. So, uh, if you've enjoyed this show, feel free to stop by the Facebook group and leave a comment, because uh, I always love comments from other people that aren't just me. And uh, you know, say hi or just send me a personal message, and I would love to get back to you personally. So, let me know how you're doing. Happy New Year, uh, and I will look forward to seeing you again in another episode. So long.